Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us in an hour here on OutKick 360. Glad you're with us. We've been talking college football. We turn our attention to the NFL this hour. Um... Paul, you sent a text. What was the uh, – Kyler Murray's got a wrist injury. Did I see that? Yeah. I was glancing at and that. he's not, uh, not throwing fully this week. He will uh, – their plan is for him to go harder next week. Cliff Kingsbury said Murray's wrist – wrist is one reason he hasn't thrown much lately. We'll pick it up next week. Backup Colt McCoy has arm soreness and is resting. So they've gone – down the depth chart and got a few guys there yeah and keep in mind murray had COVID, i believe so he's coming back after a five-day absence as a wrist issue uh we'll, we'll see uh how that all works out they'll be in nashville in two weeks for a joint practice against the titans buccaneers are here next week john mcclain with us every week as we talk nfl headlines uh you can follow him on twitter at mcclain underscore on underscore nfl john hope you're doing well I am too bad the Cardinals don't have Josh Rosen anymore. He'd be their starter oh, yeah. right now. Terrific. Be a great redemption story, John. Josh Rosen making a star for himself in Arizona would be great. What do you make of uh, arm issues for a, a much more high-profile quarterback, Matthew Stafford, who, uh, I mean, his coach said it was an abnormal thing. Then he came back and, and threw, but not in team, and, and said he, Matthew Stafford said he felt good and was surprised it was such a big deal. But I thought uh, Sean McVay set it up as, as a big deal the way he talked about it. And I'm certainly keeping an eye on it. I, I don't feel good about it. Everybody is. And from what I read, he has pain on two sides of his elbow, and that's not good. And yet he threw some balls with that pain, and he looked great. And I'm thinking, well, if he's got that issue, why did they let him throw some balls in practice? They need to rest him. He doesn't need to play in the preseason. He's got all his receivers back, just like Aaron Rodgers. Now, Rodgers might need to play. He's not, but he might because he has new receivers with Devontae Adams going. But I think the Rams are going to be just fine in preseason without Stafford and everything has to be geared up to that regular season opener. So, John, I was reading today, I think Adam Schefter had the tweet previewing Hard Knocks episode one tonight with the Detroit Lions and said that in this first episode, Aiden Hutchinson is singing Billie Jean in front of the entire team and that HBO people, producers say it is the most entertaining moment in the show's history. Uh, what do you think about that? And what are how are you, you anticipating or not anticipating this Hard Knocks season? Well, I've seen every episode of Hard Knocks in preseason. I didn't watch any of the regular seasons with the Colts. 
last season. I just didn't have time, but I've never missed an episode because I think it's fascinating. Dan Campbell, the Lions coach, has a great personality. I'm not saying he's going to be Rex Ryan. He was the most entertaining hard knocks coach I've seen, but I think he'll be fun for people because the team's awful. And as far as Aiden Hutchinson singing Billy Jean, of course, they're going to put something out there to entice people because there's a lot of people that ain't going to watch Hard Knocks because it is the Lions who've won one playoff game since the 50s. It's been a while. <laughs> what was the recent quote? Um, he wants guys that are going to effing bury you. That's what Dan Campbell told the media this year instead of the ankle biters. He wants guys who That's are a great quote. going to bury them. And then, wasn't that preceded by we'll tread water as long as it takes? to get in position to go do that. When the Texans were on uh, Hard Knocks in 2015, Bill O'Brien's second season, Bob McNair, the owner, limited him to five F-bombs per episode. And so O'Brien used those up really quick, and then he had to think before he streamed his F-bombs, which he did all the time. And when HBO runs it during the day, it's sanitized, so Bob McNair and his wife only watched the day version of the Texans on Hard Knocks. John, um, let's let's consider the division for a moment. Um, who who's the team in the NFC North if the Packers take a step back that is ready to claim the top spot? And it's early here, but I, I spent some time over the last two nights reading reports from every training camp and. The Packers' offensive line has struggled by all accounts whenever they're watching practice. Jenkins, uh, he started the season, or he started camp on PUP. He remains there. Um, Bakhtiari, there's still no timetable on his official return. They need him back. They have wide receiver issues. Their rookie is still on PUP. Um, They have some guy named Romeo Dobbs, who is the talk of camp at wide receiver. Ten days in, he's the star. He's a fourth-round pick out of Nevada. When when do you start to look around and go, okay, Green Bay may not be the Green Bay of the last couple of years, even with the MVP Aaron Rodgers? I don't buy all that um, at all. You know, we haven't even started preseason. As long as Rodgers is healthy, everything else will be good because he's the best quarterback in the NFL. He'll make those other wide receivers look good. That stat about Devontae Adams last seven games being out, they won seven and averaged 31 points a game. So I'm not buying into the Packers slipping back. Now the key is, can he win on field advantage again? That division The Lions are terrible. The Bears are terrible. And the only team that might be decent besides Green Bay is Minnesota. And the Vikings have a new head coach in Kevin O'Connell, a first-time head coach in Kevin O'Connell. And so we don't know what to expect from them other than they will not be a defensive-oriented team as they were under Mike Zimmer, and everybody will be watching, Kirk Cousins in particular. But I think the only team that has a chance to compete for a wild-card berth is – will be Minnesota. I think the Vikings have the chance to flip the script a bit, to your point, John, because not only are they not going to be a defensive-minded team with with a new head coach, but the talk is they're also not going to be run first, the run first mentality out of the backfield. But they actually have the personnel to do that. Uh, I know they have Kirk Cousins under a one-year deal right now that's guaranteed, but the personnel I'm speaking of at receiver 
they could pull that off if they do want to pass it more. Well, they could unless it's big games they got to win because Kirk Cousins has a terrible record in big games they have to win. And so he looks good. You know, he looks good when they're playing the bad teams in the division. His stats will be good. They always are. Maybe under Kevin O'Connell, he'll be a better quarterback and start to win some games that matter. Roughly two weeks into camp, Ron Rivera fires his defensive line coach, Sam Mills, cites philosophical differences. He's had him on his staff for 12 years. So uh, it's interesting that philosophical differences crop up. Looks like a typical Washington mess. What do you make of it? Boy, I tell you, when I saw that, Paul, I was stunned because Ron Rivera likes to run a smooth sailing ship. And to get rid of your defensive line coach right now, that's bad timing. That guy must have done something really bad behind the scenes because philosophical differences, I mean, what's he talking about? I kind of think it was something else, and they let it be called philosophical differences, but that's going to be tough on defensive linemen. Ryan Pales, the new general manager in, in Chicago, he's dealing with a lot of different issues, injuries, salary cap constraints. Uh, they're dropping like flies on the offensive line and receiver. Um, and then there's Roquan Smith, who has requested to be traded. He's the next guy to request this trade. He's got a contract issue. He says he's not valued by the front office. He says he's never met with any, anyone connected to ownership there. And that could help change his mind on whether or not he wants to be there. But you have Ryan Pels, the new GM who comes from Kansas City, who says, yeah, we're not trading him. Um, what, do you, what do you make of that, given the fact that the Bears have a pretty glim outlook right now when they've traded away their top talent and they're still looking for pieces through the draft next year? It's amazing how much respect they'll be giving him when they give him the money he wants. It's all about the money. It's not about not meeting owners. That's a hogwash. He wants to be paid like a top linebacker, and he is. He's really good. And you know what? I'm sure they'll pay it because now if players squawk and they hold in or they hold out in the half season, they're getting what they want. I don't blame players at other position. You see these diva wide receivers getting what they want. Why not go for it? Smith is a terrific player on a bad team, but I get I guarantee you he's going to get paid. Well, NFL Network this morning, and, and I'm with you, he's going to get paid, but the question is how's the contract going to be structured? Because the, the contract talks with Smith have been backloaded, and they have de-escalators based on performance, which is unusual for the top players in the league. Um, I'm, I'm assuming what you're saying is those things will be removed. Those things will be removed, and they'll make it a fair deal. You can't negotiate one of your top players like that because all the other players see it, and they're like, man, oh, man, if they give him that kind of treatment, what are they going to do for me? You want to be fair. You want to overpay for guys on your team who work hard, who do the job the way you want, because it shows his teammates, you do like I do, you're going to get paid. You're not going to get screwed. And right now, that's what they're trying to do to him. Yeah, and Ryan Poles actually held a, a, a press conference, surprise press conference before practice today, and said, right now my intentions are to sign Roquan to this team. We're going to take it day by day. At the end of the day, we have to do what's best for this organization, but my intention is to make sure Roquan Smith is on this team. Here's what shocks me about this, John. Roquan Smith doesn't have an agent. Is this an increasing trend in the NFL that I wasn't aware of with all of these guys who are 
negotiating on their own without an agent, he's a really good player to not have representation. And Laramie Tunsil did his deal with the Texans with no agent. He had three people advising him behind the scenes. None of these guys are doing everything themselves. If they don't have an agent, doesn't mean they don't have people advising them. I guarantee you, Smith has advisors. You pay them by the hour. You don't have to pay them 3% of your total deal. And you get a lot of help from the Players Association. If you need it, they have people there set up to answer players' questions, give them advice, tell them what players in front of them and behind them are making in the draft, tell them what other players at their position are making. So they don't come without a good deal of information. But I think they'll get that deal done. And I don't blame players because money's so big today. I don't blame them wanting to pay people by the hour as advisors than giving them 3% of a $100 million deal to an agent. Just some awful reviews, John, coming out of Foxborough for what's going on with the Patriots offense right now. Mac Jones uh, this morning said, I'm going to figure it out. I always have. I always will. But um, – Sounds like they're fumbling and bumbling. I know they've changed some things uh, up there uh, and that it's really early and you would never count out a Bill Belichick team. But uh, no offensive coordinator up there with the offensive experience. We We all have some questions about how they're going forward. What do you think when you hear how, how bad things have looked so far? I remember when they talked in the offseason about Matt Patricia who's a defensive coordinator, but worked on the offensive side way back. And then they're talking about Joe Judge, special teams coach, who was a Giants head coach. So you have two former head coaches there with not much offensive background. They talked about them doing it. Now, there's somebody on that staff that I'm guessing Bill Belichick's not going to call the plays, and I'm guessing he could. But when you got a good young quarterback trying to take the next step in his development, you want to hire the best possible play caller, not to mention the best possible position coach. And it looks like they're shortchanging him. And, it, boy, and you think that's not Bill Belichick doing that, is it? But I think you're right, Paul. By the time the season starts, they'll, they'll get this worked out. John McClain is with us. There is still a lot to get to with position battles, um, issues in in Tampa Bay on the offensive line. Um, I want to hit on two standouts, believe it or not, that I've heard about from Houston and John's seen every practice. Uh, two rookies that that have shined through some headlines there. Philadelphia and how they're implementing A.J. Brown. He's certainly been a huge hit for the Eagles thus far during camp. And uh, we will get to uh, the, the other things around the NFL, including there's new ownership in Denver made official today, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction, which took place this past weekend. We'll get John's overall take of that and more straight ahead on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. 
Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. So, Chad, guess who uh, with, you've got um, Kyler Murray, who's not going to play this weekend, and his backup is out. So Trace McSorley is going to start against the Bengals. Former Penn Stater. And then, like, for the last three quarters or so, Jarrett Garantano will be the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. Finally time I, to see the if real you, If there Friday is a prop bet on interceptions, take the over in that <laughs> game for Arizona. I don't know if they do that for preseason games, but if, if there is a, a over two interceptions for Arizona I would take the I would hammer the over let's see what in that game find. let's see if you can if you can take that bet John McClain with us never bet against McClain uh, who uh, had a it was better than 500 record last year against the spread someone was keeping up with it John it certainly wasn't you you don't keep up with that you give your picks and, and move you move on. on but someone told you recently that uh, you had a very high success rate. I do know the year before I was below 500 and the year before that I was like 40 games over 500 and I'd take like two seconds to do those. <laughs> 40 over. If you were oh 40 God. over 500, was, uh, you could make a lot of money for yourself or the, someone else. I think that's the year he na- he nailed the uh, the Super Bowl pick. I too. just saw, it's funny you're talking about that because I just saw at uh, Caesar Sportsbook, someone bet $264,000 on the Cardinals tonight to beat the Rockies. On the money line. Wow. Which I immediately go to my app, and now I'm betting Cardinals. Fanduel, that guy knows something. Uh, FanDuel is offering nothing except spread, money line, and over, under Very on smart. Chiefs, Cardinals. Oh, man. Very smart. But I'll check the other Take apps. the – who are they playing? Who are the Cardinals playing? The Chiefs. Bengals. Bengals. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on the our, wrong game. That guys, must be opening day. Our betting uh, fanatic down here, Jim Mattress, Mac McInvale, he's got, I think, 10 million bet on the Astros. To win the series, and if they do, he gets something like sixty-nine million, the biggest payout in history. Knowing him, he'll give most of it away. But uh, it's amazing how popular gambling is today, and how much some of these high rollers are betting. Matt can't even get anybody to take an entire bet, including Vegas. He has to fly around to reservations in Louisiana and and put down two million at a time. So people will take his bets. Mattress Mac. Well, Mattress Mac. Too successful. Oh, to be Mattress Mac. Can too we have successful. him as a special they, guest on the show at where, some point, Where they Jim? would not let him uh, place the bet. Oh, you could get us Mattress Mac on yeah, the show. Come on. Right, John? Sure, I could get you Mattress Mac. He won $15 million on Kansas winning the NCAA. And he lost, I think, 13 on the Astros. But he hedges all his bets. 
where he doesn't really lose anything. See, I'm even less interested in all the wins and more interested in his routes he takes to Strategy. go place bets to make sure he can get the bets placed because he's won so he, much. <laughs> Excuse me. Last two weeks ago, he was a featured speaker in Atlantic City at a high rollers convention. So while he was there, he put another couple mil on the Astros. It's amazing because I watch the Astros and I hope for his sake that they win it all, but I certainly wouldn't pick them to beat the Yankees, even though they've owned the Yankees in regular season. And then the Dodgers, you know, they didn't do squat at the deadline. And then they just pound the Padres who pulled off the biggest trades in baseball history at the trading deadline. And so it's, I think this is going to be a tremendous finish to baseball. I think the Yankees and Astros will get the buys in the, in the American league. And I think the Dodgers will probably win it all. John, you're fine with the Astros against the Yankees. They just traded a starting pitcher who promptly shut them out one to nothing when he faced <laughs> them that, that weekend yeah. after doing that. So, so that's a sign of things to come for the struggling Yankees right now. John, while, Sorry, we're, Paul. while we're talking Astros, Thanks. let's stay in Houston with the Texans briefly. Um, I was reading where Damian Pierce, uh, the rookie, and uh, along with uh, Stingley from LSU, Derek Stingley at corner, are putting on a show in camp. Is that is that accurate? Have you seen the same thing? Well, Jalen Petrie, the safety second-round pick from Baylor, he's been a starter from the second OTA. And Stingley, they brought on slowly because of Liz Frank surgery. I don't think he's going to play Saturday night versus the Saints, but he goes full speed in practice now. And he just looks really good. They have him going against their best player, Brandon Cooks, most of the time in practice. So he'll it'll help him make his adjustment. And I contend, and I've done this since the draft, I said Damian Pierce will be a thousand yard rusher and he will be a candidate for offensive rookie of the year because he steps into such a great situation, the worst running game in the NFL, the worst running game in franchise history, next to worst running game the year before. You talk about opportunity. He's got Marlon Mack, who hadn't done squat since like 2018 in Indy, and Rex Burkhead is his competition. So keep an eye on Damian Pierce. By the time the Titans play the Texans, I think he'll be entrenched in the starting lineup. John, we've we've all been to and attended training camps in years past. Uh, media policies are ever-changing. But um, I, I read something last night that where I got very depressed, and then I started trying to find video just to see if it's accurate, and it's, it's accurate. Brian Dayball, and I don't know how he's policing this, Brian Dayball is not allowing the media or fans to post video from practice because he feels like there is a true competitive advantage to that. And he admitted to the media... He has a staffer that is in charge of going around the league and doing nothing but pulling video from fans that are attending other teams' practices across the league. I bring this up. The Titans open up against the Giants in week one, so I'm sure they're pulling Titans video from fans as they sit there and film it when the media is not even allowed in yet. Uh, in, in your opinion, are we getting to a point where it's going to be all or nothing, where a coach is either cool and isn't worried about some guy, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one drill being seen by the opponent, or we're just going to have close practices all together where it is literally back to where we started, where it is uh, the, the written word is, is how we're going to follow this, much like we follow college practices right now. That's that Patriot paranoia still in day ball now that he's a head coach. 
And I'll tell you this, we talk every day here in the media. When we look across the field at the fans, going from goal line to goal line, 20 rows up of stands in the end zone, wouldn't it be dumb for the Colts the first game not to have somebody in the stands taking video of it because fans can take video and post right. what they want? Right. Now, anytime the Texans do anything important, they go indoors, and there's a hotel right across the two streets at the end of the complex, the Holiday Inn, and I've been into up on the top floor when a friend of mine used to stay there, and you can look right out down at the Texans practice facility. So I think that's going a little overboard. And how is he going to confiscate a cell phone? Show me your pictures. That seems like that should be illegal. Titans have so few fans now because of the space uh, that they actually can monitor fans. They don't let fans shoot. And the media is only allowed to shoot stuff that gives away nothing in terms of formation or personnel or anything like that. So Aren't a lot also- of us are left to describe stuff. But I think it's crazy. If you think you're giving away anything monumental like that, you're just getting your, your, co- well, your, your ass out coached. Also, aren't we give- take the paranoia angle aside. Aren't we giving coaches and players way too much credit to act like even if you ran some trick play or different formation in a practice and it was filmed. Go out and block it up. Well, that the moment that happened, because you had one scout that was out there looking through fan video, that it happens in a game and suddenly you pick it off and run it back the other way because you diagnosed it right away as a player, as that special play that you saw in a practice. I just don't think that those things are spotted. It's, it's an execution league. Yeah. I mean, game plan works, obviously. That's something that's important. But are we really thinking that players are going to spot that right away from one practice? Or how about so if you're so convinced that this is going to be used against you, how about outsmart somebody and put something out there that you think they're going to – if they're going to dissect it so brilliantly, then Brian Dayball should put something out there to trick somebody. It's, it's too much. I, I'll give you an example. When I was president of Pro Football Writers America – Bill Parcells wouldn't let his players of the Cowboys, he wouldn't let his coaches talk and he wouldn't let the media watch practice. And so I met with him to try to get him to change it. And I reminded him, I said, how did you win two Super Bowls with all those newspapers and radio stations and TV stations watching practice and talking to your coaches? And now you're not, and you haven't been back to the Super Bowl. He said, are you saying that's why I went? I said, hey, I'm just saying, how did you do it then? Why have you become paranoid now? And he didn't have an answer. I think deep down, John, if 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 the coaches were 10 years removed from coaching, they would admit that, yeah, it, it really didn't make a difference. But they also don't want in the back of their head that they did anything possible that hurt their chances of winning a game or that would hurt their team. So the paranoia is that if I'm not doing this or I'm doing something different – that the other guy in the division isn't doing, that I'm doing something wrong and it's going to come back to bite me, even if logically they know that's probably not and the case. And it's also a control thing. We know that they are just freaks about control. A lot of them are. And um, it makes them feel like they're more in control. Yeah, but uh, another part of it too is the best team of the last 20 years was caught filming practice on tape. Yeah. So like – that. You know, and they're also an organization, speaking of the Patriots, that have a walkthrough before home games on Saturday at their stadium where they go through with security and clear that whole thing out. 
Or if you're setting up a radio broadcast, screw you. You got to come back tomorrow because we're about to have a walkthrough and we're closing up everything. While you guys are discussing this, I just thought of a couple of lines I just wrote in a song. Paranoia, paranoia strikes deep into your life. It will creep. What do y'all think? Paranoia. Uh, is there self, a song there? Self-destroyer. Yeah, is that a song you used to cover, John, in your band? <laughs> uh, it sure is. Now you talk about <laughs> secret videotapes that people want to hold up. Screw football practice. Yeah. We want tape of your band. John, please break out the bass. Thank goodness there was no such thing as tape back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Audio tape there was, I hope. John, uh, J.K. Dobbins has been uh, removed from their PUP list in Baltimore. How big of a deal is that for Lamar Jackson in the offense? Well, considering they lost their top three running backs last season, and I've never seen that any time in my career. And Dobbins is right on the verge of, they hope, becoming one of the top backs in the league. And you talk about hungry, and you talk about needing him for balance. I think he can mean so much to that offense. And there's a good chance Baltimore, with John Harbaugh being a great coach, is going to win the AFC North. What are your expectations for Lamar Jackson, given the fact that Hollywood Brown's now in Arizona, their top receivers, Rashad Bateman, who they're hoping takes a big step forward, and then starting opposite him is either James Proche or Devin Duvernay right now? My expectations for him are at least $231 million guaranteed. Yeah, tight end. Because ends. if Watson, Watson gets 230 he deserves 231 He's been a great passer down the middle to his tight end, specifically Mark Andrews. And Hollywood Brown had 90-something catches last year, even though Jackson was out. And I didn't understand why he wanted out of there so bad. Some people tried to blame it on Jackson. Of course, he said no, but that's a good good team. They're always going to be capable of winning any game on their schedule. Up until about noon Eastern today, the wealthiest owner in the NFL was David Tepper, who is worth an estimated $16.7 billion. And he has now not just been surpassed, but overwhelmed as the, the new wealthiest owner in the league is Rob Walton, worth $59.8 billion. Um, so they've made that official in Denver. Here are the richest owners in American sports, the top five. Tepper is fifth at 16.7. Steve Cohen with the Mets is at uh, in number four at 17.4. Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, is worth an estimated 20.3. Rob Walton of the Broncos is now the second richest owner in American sports. And number one, Steve Ballmer with the Clippers, who's worth $92 billion. <laughs> um, not only have they just voted in a new ownership group, but they voted in... Uh, an owner that now puts them in a different stratosphere. It was a, it was a, it's a fraternity in and of itself. But when that you go from the wealthiest being 16 to now over 50 billion, that's incredible to think of. I always wondered what happened to Paul Allen when he died. Paul Allen was the wealthiest owner, just like Steve Ballmer from all that Microsoft stock. Ballmer just built his own building. For the Clippers, you'd like to see more of these multi-billionaires do that. And some owners, that's why you have problems 
with family squabbles. Some of those family members want to sell, get that money and live an even better life uh, while they can. And that's why he has so many bad situations going on behind the scenes. And Balmer, Balmer, whenever he passed, um, am I, who do you mention him, right? Yeah. Okay. Whenever, Paul Allen. Paul, Paul Allen. Allen. Yeah, Paul Allen. Excuse yeah. me. Whenever Paul Allen passed away, he gave away most of whatever was going to be inherited. So he he gave it all away to, to charity. charity. And now the Seahawks and um, the the uh, Trailblazers. The Trailblazers. Thank you. The, they're eventually going to sell both of those franchises. His sister in charge uh, of that because the trust isn't able to keep up with whatever it is that they're they're currently trying to do with those organizations. So that's where the money thought, went. It went to charity. I thought the coolest thing about Paul Allen was the name of his company, Vulcan Inc. Yeah. So, uh, John, am I being too nitpicky when I immediately see $59.8 billion for Rob Walton? I think, how much of that is liquid? <laughs> like, if he had to just well, give someone to come cash up with 30%, right now. He had to come up with 30% of the $4.5 billion. So he probably had well, to sell, sell a little stock. That well, was I mean, probably, he's, he's worth 50, what, 57.8, 59.8. So that's a small percentage. I think paying it all in cash wouldn't be a problem, but what percentage of that 59 could he just get right now and give to someone? Is always what I I'm consider with these super billionaires. It's, Those things are way beyond my comprehension chad i'll let you ponder it is. we get him on the show i'm gonna you you better believe i'm asking rob walton if i needed a check for this amount could you cover it right now without digging into any other offshore account or selling any properties well, if, could I'm you not, do it? if i'm not mistaken the temper sale went really smoothly and that that was partly because he owned a share of the of the steelers already so the vetting had been done this one went awfully smoothly it's pretty impressive how smoothly it can go when you're you know, exponentially more rich than some of your ownership brethren. John, is it all they care about? We now have, I mean, the Walton family is now represented twice in the league because Cronky is married into the family too. So his wife is his wife, Walton's niece, Rob Walton's niece or sister. I don't know which it is, uh, but they're connected there. And technically, um, Cronky's wife is listed as the owner of the other pro franchises that he owns because he can't technically do it as the owner of the Rams and have another franchise under his umbrella too, under like his the name. Nuggets, maybe? Yeah, Denver. And then Every time I hear Walton, I think, good night, John Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Ann Walton Cronky. I'm trying to see the relationship to Rob Walton. Um, let's see. Yeah, but they're, I mean, they're in now. So they're now in LA and in Denver uh, with the, the so highest niece, sale. It's niece, niece the okay. Bud, Bud Walton's daughter. Okay. Sam Walton's niece. So cousins, I think, would be the proper. Rob Walton is a cousin. Okay. First cousin. Uh, nonetheless, connected to the, the money chain um, for sure. The power couples in LA there. Uh, Tampa Bay, they swapped Shaq Mason for uh, a free agent uh, departure in Alex Kappa at right guard. But they've now had some changes to their interior line because they may be starting a rookie at center based on uh, injuries sustained. Um, uh, I was reading a Pewter Report. Aaron Stenny, former Titan, was starting. And it looks as though, it appears as though he's been benched because he's the guy who uh, injured... Um, when the Ryan Jensen, Ryan Jensen, he he did something where he 
Roll There's now up. a four-way battle at guard. They're looking for someone to step in at center. What do you make of the the challenges in front of Brady? Brady's always been known for making the O-line better. At least that's the talk in what happened in New England. And they certainly had injuries that they overcame there. But when you, when you think of 45-year-old Tom Brady and the veterans that they had up front last year and the fact that Jensen was coming back and they've had some guys retire abruptly, what do you make of the old line and that being maybe the, the weak link of the offense right now? It's the shortest path to Brady. Brady turned 45 last week, of course. And they got to be worried about it. I'm told they are worried about it. New England always had a lot of change up front because of injuries, little ineptness, players leaving for more money. But Brady is able to withstand it. And I think he'll withstand it now. He's got Godwin. He's got Evans. He doesn't have – Gronk. A lot of people still think Gronk might come back if they need him, but I'm not saying they're going to win a Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl, but a great quarterback can overcome so many issues. John, the issue in Cincinnati last year was their offensive line. And other than than Lyle Collins, um, we, we still haven't seen him practice yet because of his his back issue. There is really no major storyline out of Cincinnati other than uh, they, their, their quarterback, um, they're, they're waiting on him to come back from, uh, off season or right before camp, they had the surgery, the appendectomy for Joe Burrow. Other than that, there, there is no major issue or roster concern from their training camp start. And I don't think many are predicting them to get back to where they were. I certainly wouldn't because teams that lose a Super Bowl don't go back unless they're the Patriots. I always thought those teams that lose a Super Bowl should be the hungriest teams in the NFL. They should be doing the most to improve whatever it costs them to lose. And the Bengals made a lot of changes in their offensive line. But nobody's talking about them actually getting back to the Super Bowl. Maybe they'll surprise us, but I certainly wouldn't pick them. John, I've been following the, the quarterback reps in Pittsburgh Mitchell Trubisky's been treated as the starter. Um, I keep keep in mind most most teams are ten or eleven practices in now, but we we take what we can get right now, and it's worthy of discussion because Pickett is working as the third guy. He's not number two. Uh, he's working behind Mason Rudolph, who the media says has been the most accurate quarterback in Pittsburgh camp. Is this a major issue right now to you, or do you find it? No big storyline yet until we get to September. I mean, it's the same as Malik Willis here, who's a long-term project. Uh, except one guy's a first-round pick and the other yeah, guy's a third. Right. And, uh, and one had a lot of starting experience. I think at some point, uh, every team that has good intentions to let a quarterback watch and learn, they don't all have Alex Smith in front of them going to the playoffs. So I'm thinking about, if not quarter of the way into the season, certainly about six or seven games in, Pickett's going to start because he is the future. I feel the same way. The, the other big rookie who's made a splash and impact just across the league is Karlaftis. Go figure, the, the Chiefs have a guy fall to them. But they have Karlaftis now who's turning heads in, in Kansas City camp. Um, they have Frank Clark who's apparently more like he was two years ago than what he was last year. And then they bring in uh, Dunlap who said he chose – Kansas City because he has the best path to uh, the, the championship. They could be a force up front, much like they were in the playoff run a couple years ago, John. And it could be August All-Stars who fade could when be. playing starts for real. But we've at least seen two of the guys do it for real 
in Frank Clark whenever he was traded, and Dunlap's been very productive over his nine years or whatever it was in Cincy. If they're going anywhere, it's not because of Frank Clark or Dunlap. It's because of one guy. It's going to be Patrick Mahomes. Justin Tucker uh, getting the now the new highest paid contract, and not by a dollar, by a million more than any other kicker in the league. But Chad pointed it out yesterday. It's well deserved because of the accuracy and the distance that this guy kicks with, and the fact he kicks outdoors. Um, yes, Tucker and Vinatieri are the greatest kickers I've ever seen. Some of the others with the most points and field goals kicked. Most of their career indoors. Minitary kicked more than half of his career indoors. But a guy like Tucker nailing them in the snow and the wind, to me, he is the greatest of the great. John, uh, John final uh, 30 seconds. Leave us with uh, your, your best um, recap, best moment of the weekend from the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. Bryant Young's speech, which was moving, especially when he talked about his childhood passed away. And Dick Vermeil was like one more minute away from getting yanked off with a hook. <laughs> he had he, a lot of thank yous. I, yeah. yeah, I read he thanked everyone and then complained. Did he thank y'all? He missed me. Yeah. yeah oh, me did too. he? I, I mean, he thanked everyone, but yet complained that he wished he had more time to thank more people. That was the... the Everybody's the going, thank God you don't. <laughs> yeah. And this is coming from John, who uh, says we should not complain about the length of speeches, so you know it was long if John thought it was long. That's right, Jonathan, but what bothers me is when they repeat things. You know, he, he thanks Sal Paolo Antonio twice. Ron Jaworski's right next to him. He didn't thank Jaws, and a lot of people in Philadelphia are angry about it. Interesting. When you think everyone, every little omission, yeah. people are going to really yeah. point out when you think everybody yeah, it's else. A tough spot. John, we, we certainly thank you for, for joining us each and every week. Thank you. Jonathan, Paul, Chad, thank you guys very much as always. I look forward to talking to you next week. Follow John on Twitter, McClain underscore underscore NFL. This is why if I ever get in a Hall of Fame, I'll thank no one. (laughs) There will be no omissions because I'm not going to thank anyone. That way I don't leave anyone off the list. Coming up, SEC quarterback accuracy. And who is atop the list? The first two or three guys I think will surprise most SEC fans, college football fans out there, guys who are returning. That's next on Now Kick 360. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Which SEC quarterbacks threw the most accurate passes to the intermediate level of the field last season? Outkick 360 rolls on. Intermediate 10 to 20 yards. Most accurate quarterbacks from last year who returned this year. The list surprised me. Guys, in perception-wise, where I thought they would be on this list are a bit flip-flop, so there's the teaser. But, Chad, if you're thinking just 
starters right now, the highest catchable pass rate on throws 10 to 20 yards downfield, who would you guess would be at the bottom? We're going to go with six guys. At the bottom? Yeah, at six. We'll go six to number one. Oh, we'll man. Avail this. Uh, Mike Wright would be towards the bottom. Okay. Of returning guys, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Wright. All these guys started games in the SEC last year. It's... <laughs> It's tough to know. Oh, uh, anyone that's at South Carolina that's not Spencer Rattler does, does that count? Luke Doty? They're not on the would list. Would be on that list. They're okay. not on the list. Top six, Paul. Top six or bottom six? It's the top six. The most accurate passes. Okay, most Levis. accurate. Most accurate. Bri- Bryce Young, KJ Jefferson, Hendon Hooker. I'm just going with the best quarterbacks yeah. that are returned. Will Levis. Yes. Okay. So number six on the list, Max Johnson is number six, 79.1% accuracy rate through a catchable pass 10 to 20 yards downfield. Of course, he's now at Texas A&M competing for that position. Um, number five Son on the list. Brad Johnson. Uh, that surprised me, though, that he's in the top group, but yet is considered you know, just a Question. serviceable option in Texas A&M uh, in that battle. Number five, and I thought he would be way higher, um, Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, 80.9. I would put, uh, I went, in thinking about this, I'm thinking 80.9 to me would be towards the top. He's fifth. Yeah, that's, that's a, a good, good number. That's a really, that's a really good, good number. number. He's fifth. And it, honestly, that surprises me that it's that high because a lot of his passes are either quick, you know, a quick screen, quick hitter, yeah. or deep. Down the field. I would so also say, like, I, I wonder if somebody like him is at 11 yards and the next guy's at 19. You Number know? four on the list from Mississippi State, Will Rogers. Makes sense. 81.3. So virtually the same accuracy rate for Hendon Hooker and Will quick, Rogers. Quick, quick. Bryce Young is at, thir- is at three uh, as a returning starter. 82. And then this surprised me at the top. Will Levis from Kentucky who struggled at times last year. Between 10 and 20 yards, 83% of the time he's throwing a catchable ball uh, right in the intermediate rate where your guys are catching and going. I mean, that's the heart of college football right there. Big part of that was Wondell Robinson also who's gone. Here is the big surprise. K.J. Jefferson is number one in accuracy rate of all returning starters. That is a big number. 85.2%. Highest catchable pass rate for throws 10 to 20 yards downfield. I that guess, shocked me. I guess four of the six. I guess the good news is, you know, four of the top quarterbacks, five of the top quarterbacks are right there at the top. The order is surprising that yes. K.J. Jefferson is one, and it's not Bryce Young or Will Rogers at number one. That's a terrific graphic, and I like the the reveal as we go. Very well yeah, done. Very nice. Hit us up on Beautiful. Twitter at Outkick360. Shout out to Molten there for flat out getting it done. Coming up. We have Senator Tommy Tuberville, who's about to join the show. We discuss NIL and the bipartisan bill that he's trying to work on at Capitol Hill. He's with us next on OutKick.